0: Well, it feels like Christmas blew up in here, doesn't it? I want to say thanks to Susan Trish and her cadre of women and men who made this happen. It, I, I just am in awe every year at all the decorations, and it's all volunteer, and it's all done so very well, and that is not my gift or talent at all but I feel like I'm in a winter wonderland. Now, let me ask, I, I want to ask kind of a divisive question today. I know some of you have a jack lantern by your Christmas tree because you start in October decorating for Christmas. How many of them are there in the crowd today? Raise your hands. Don't be shy, be proud. Others of you keep your Christmas up all year round and you decorate the tree for the different uh, 4th of July, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and, and any other holiday. How many of those are here today? I met a lady that didn't even take down her Christmas stuff last year for the first time. Now, how many of you it's against your religion to light or decorate until th- Thanksgiving Day or the day after Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. And how many of you never hardly ever get around to decorating for Christmas because you just aren't that kind of person? Okay, that is us. That is us. We are the later rather than hopefully we'll get it up by Christmas kind of people. So we're just glad that we can all love each other and agree to disagree about when that is right, even though it's after Thanksgiving. I just want you to know. (laughs) I'll get an email this week, at least one. Wow, I can't believe you said that. Yeah, well, go figure. And I can remember, can you remember waiting for Christmas as a child to get that BB gun or to be able to ride that motorcycle or that special bike or gift or doll that you were looking forward to? And now... It seems like we just celebrated Christmas last year and we're buying stuff on Amazon again. And I've got all these boxes I don't know what to do with in my house that, that, by the way, our VBS decorators want big boxes. So if you have any, bring them here and we will figure something out to do with them. But this is also a season, even though it is a season of waiting, that is also an emotional epidemic. And we thought that it was bad with COVID, but since COVID, I've noticed that anxiety, depression, suicide, and related emotions have been just a part of our culture. And I didn't say this in first service, but this anxiety, this feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease typically about an imminent event or or something with an uncertain outcome seems like the uncertainty level in our culture has just risen. And I, I spoke this in first service, but I didn't say this, is that I think we'll see that even more. And I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom or or gloom or to depress you right now, but think about it. Our culture is less Christians. There are more people that are done with Christianity, more people that are nuns, none and done, none. They don't believe in anything. And and when you have that becoming a dominant force in your younger generations, then I think you're going to see some anxiety. You're going to see some depression because they have no hope. They have no life. They have no light. How do you live without hope? And I I deal with young people often that struggle with the meaning of life and why they shouldn't take their lives. And, And that has been on the rampant as well. And so a lot of times, as we decorate, we place this nativity scene in our homes, and I just wonder, at different times, if you, if, if Mary, the mother of Jesus, were here today, and she would see a nativity scene in our home, or at our church, or above there, if she would even recognize it. You ever think about that? I was in the Church of Nativity, waited a significant amount of time to go into this cave, kind of underground, and it was very dark and barely lit and kind of smoky, and kneel down before this altar, and there's this black spot in this room, and I thought I was trying to look and see through it. There wasn't anything to see through, but that is the place where they thought Jesus was born. and. Like in all of Israel, if if it wasn't there, it was somewhere near there. But I don't think Mary, Mary would kind of laugh, I think, at the our nativity and our Hallmark-esque kind of perspective of the Nativity. Because here she was nine months pregnant. She she had, had, had to go. A ways to get there, and it was an anxious, uncertain moment. And she was far from home and having her first child in a barn and placed him in a trough. And at the same time, she had waited. And, and Israel had waited. And do you ever feel like all you do is wait? You wait on this, you wait on this. You, you, you go to the BMV and you wait. You go to the doctor's office and you wait. You go to the grocery store and you wait. And if you're Black Friday shopping, you will wait. And I I don't know if you're like me or not, but when I look at cashier lines, I look at the people running them and in them, and I try to pick the shortest line. And I look and say, I wonder if they're slow people or if they talk a lot. And I always pick the wrong line. That increases my angst and anxiety level especially if I'm in a hurry. Now, as we look at the Christmas story, we're going to be looking at the longest season of waiting for God's people up to that point in history. It was a moment in time where there had not been A word of the Lord from a prophet for 400 years. Now, if you flip from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's just one page. From Malachi to Matthew, just one page. On your digital uh, Bible, it's only one press of a button, but that was for Israel 400 years. For the Jews today in Israel, you're looking at at least 2,400 years since the Lord has spoke. There hasn't been a prophet. It's no wonder 50% of the Jews, approximately 10 million, don't even believe that, that they could relate to a God. But during this time, that 400 years, they must have forgot or must have thought that God had forgot about his people. And maybe some of them gave up hope, gave up faith, gave up that there was a God, and maybe some of you are in that place in this moment right now. Maybe a tragedy, a something has occurred that you've experienced a loss, that you're struggling with your faith, and you're wondering, why hasn't God intervened? Does he really care or has he forgotten? But we got to understand that 400 years was there for a purpose, and it wasn't 40 years, and it wasn't four years, but it was 400 years. And at the same time, while they were waiting, God was working. Especially through the pandemic, I was just praying, God, beam us out of this. Just you know the the snap of your fingers, and this would all be gone. God didn't do that. I can remember in 2020 thinking, "Oh, this will only be a few months," and it wasn't. It lingered and it lingered. and And still today, there there are people that haven't recovered from that, and maybe never will in their lifetime. We've got to understand that while you are waiting, God is working in every one of your lives. And the question I'm going to ask you today is, what, you, what are you waiting for? What's that next thing, that, that thing, that, that event, that goal? What are you waiting for? And I, I want to share with you two words this morning, just quickly, two words that have to do with this Christmas story today. And the first one is promise that God has a promise. God still has promises for his people. There were 300 promises in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. From, From Genesis to Malachi, there were promises of his coming. And I just want you to know that they were fulfilled in the New Testament. And the other word is fulfillment. And and the fulfillment was that these 300 promises were all fulfilled in the New Testament by the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to start right out with the birth of Jesus in our Christmas series this year. So, So you're here today. You're going to see the big event, but we're going to see some surrounding events over the next three weeks or four weeks. But in Luke 2, 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when... Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, as we approach the Christmas story, most of us can almost mouth the words of the Scripture because we've been over and over it and over it again. And so there's a danger there, and the danger of hearing the Christmas story is the danger of familiarity that we're so familiar that we just kind of skim over the details and we really don't think about it. We don't meditate about it. We don't really rest in it or allow God's presence in these words. And I want you to notice that he says, the, Luke's the writer says, in those days, and it was not once upon a time. This is not a myth that we believe. It's a historical fact backed up by archaeology from the very beginning. Luke is telling this story probably in such detail because he heard it from who? Who would be the only one alive because Luke was not an apostle? He was not an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry. Who would he have heard it from? He was a co-traveler with the Apostle Paul. He would have heard it from Mary, the mother of Jesus. I don't know if you can get any more personal or familiar with what occurred than, than with the mother of the baby, Jesus. I got a question for you. You ever know someone that couldn't get to the point Maybe you're sitting by them. Maybe you shouldn't be elbowing them at this moment. Have you ever talked to someone and you wanted to go get your pillow and your sleeping bag and you you, you say, I just take a nap and when you get done, just wake me up. You ever been there? I have. Now, Luke is kind of a writer like that because he fills in a lot of the details. Look at verses three through six of this passage. And he says, and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, I can't think of a more inconvenient time to travel than when you're nine months pregnant. And ladies, I don't mean to be uncaring or uncompassionate, but sometimes when people are very pregnant, they are very irritable because they are very, very uncomfortable and very, very tired even before labor. And so this was an uncertain, anxious moment, even though the Lord was in it and she had been told by the Gabriel angel that she would bear a child. And so when we look at verse 7, look look at what occurs. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, they had had 400 years of planning. God had had 400 years of planning and there was no hospital. There was no good place for the child of God, for the Messiah. And, And what's interesting is if you compare gospel accounts the gospel of luke is in such detail in comparison to matthew the matthew is like the the network news at 30,000 feet just sharing the minimum details. Mark doesn't include the birth of Jesus at all, and John, the Gospel of John, basically takes it from a theological and philosophical perspective because John writes, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." And so, the most detailed account that we have is in the Gospel of Luke, and and I want you to think about the historic timeline that Luke just kind of involves us in. In fact, I had a young man who struggles with his faith ask me the question, Chris, is Christianity the historical, a, a historical faith? And I just said yes. Well, that wasn't what he was looking for. He wanted me to send him links. Well, this has been characteristic of his life, but he, he has recurring doubts all the time. I said, you're going to have to accept some of this by faith. But but Christianity is a historical faith. And, and if you think about Israel, which it's in the news all the time right now, but Israel was established at this point as a nation since 1948. That's only 75 years. When I was there this spring in old Jerusalem, they were doing uh, excavations and uh, new archaeological digs. And I was thinking... I would have thought that would have been done by now, but I had to stop back and think that they created a government and an infrastructure and a military presence to protect it. They had planted trees and agriculture and, and had wars that they had existed through up to this point. So they're constantly finding new archaeological finds, new things to verify what we take as the Word of God's scripture. It's fascinating. And 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 when you think about that and you see it and you say, well, that's obvious. Yes, it's a historical faith. I mean, it's there. This is there. This is there. The The pilot rock is there. The, uh, the, the scrolls, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, Qumran, where Jesus baptized, it's there. Uh, where Abraham was laid to rest, it's there. It's a sacred site for Christians, for Jews, and for Muslims. Dome of the Rock is there where Isaac was sacrificed on Mount Moriah. That's where they think it was. They claim it. The Jews claim it. The Christians claim it. We all fight over it. What's fascinating, what was fascinating to me was uh, you're not supposed to dig around. You just don't uh, dig dig up things in Jerusalem. Everything's protected, archaeologically protected. Well, the, the Muslims, that were they, they needed to dig some stuff up. And they didn't want to tell anybody, so they dug up, I mean, just... D- dump truck after dump truck after dump truck took you know took a backhoe or uh, excavating and and they excavated all kinds of of stuff on the Temple Mount by night in secrecy and the Jews found out about it. Well, they went ballistic. I mean, they went crazy. And so that wherever they dumped all of that, they went through it and sifted every bit of it because there was archaeology. There were things to be found from the time of Jesus all the way till now. That's going on. So we have a historical faith. But I want want you to consider why 400 years of waiting. And if you studied with me, if you went through the book of Daniel with me, and, and I'll try to make this short, we remember Daniel was under Persian reign at one time, Medo-Persians. Xerxes and Art Xerxes, the book of Esther. They ruled. If you watch the movie of 300 with all those ripped apps, remember that? That was the Persians. And after the Persians, there were the Greeks that came and took over the Persian government. And and the, the Greek that led, the king that led, was Philip of Macedon. And you might not remember his name, but maybe you'll remember his son's name, Alexander, who was Alexander the. And within 12 years, conquered all the known world, and then he was taken out in a moment. And that that occurred 350 years before Jesus was born. And then because of the Greek civilization taking over the known world, everybody spoke a little Greek, which was the common language. Today, the common language is English all over the world. And at that time, the, the Hebrew Bible, which was written in Hebrew or Aramaic, and at that time was translated into the Greek, and it was called the Septuagint, and it was a version of the Old Testament. Now the Septuagint and the Hebrew Bible aren't the same as our Old Testament. It contains the same books, but not in the same order. So that has changed. And in fact, if you ever talk to a Jew and you want to win some points, don't call their Bible the Old Testament, because that is talking down to them. That is their Hebrew Bible, and it's different. It's called the Tonk. Now, the Romans defeated the Greeks later, 63 years before Jesus was born, and what what happened at that point, because the Roman Empire was in Rome, they built an infrastructure of roads all over the world, and so what was commonly said was, all roads lead to Rome. And so they had the highways, they had the language to be able to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ very, very quickly. But not only that. You see, Julius Caesar was murdered 25 years before Jesus was born, and his son was named Caesar Augustus that we just read about. This is all historical, and he became Emperor, but during that time period of Caesar and Augustus, there was a peace for about a hundred and twenty-five to one hundred fifty years, all throughout the Roman Empire. Everybody had been conquered and subdued, and so that peace allowed travel for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, God was working behind the scenes to set the world up to hear the gospel. There was a global census during this time of Quirinius, the governor of Syria. There's archaeological facts that, that this governor lived at that time. Not a myth. This is fact. And Joseph and Mary left Nazareth to go to Bethlehem because of the census. They wouldn't have left Nazareth otherwise, but they were ordered and Rome made them go those 90 miles. So while they were waiting, God was working, setting the perfect stage that took 400 years. Galatians 4 4, 4 and 5, Paul writes, he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God was working. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God was working. Is there someone here who feels like their heavenly daddy has forgotten you? I was talking to some people as they were leaving this morning, and they said that this sermon was just for me. That they felt like they'd been abandoned. They felt lonely. They were anxious and they were uncertain. And they had to hear this word of God. God never forgets you. God says, I am not done working yet. And I haven't forgotten you. He is in control. He is working a blessing right now in the background for us, for you. God is saying to you, would you just hold on in the waiting? Some of us have been waiting for a long time for certain things. Don't give up now. I think that is why the name Emmanuel is so important for us. I was sharing this message in a a funeral, not not this message, but this passage of Scripture in a funeral because I I think it gives hope, it gives comfort, but it helps us to relate to Jesus because we were all born. You see, Emmanuel is God with us. God isn't over us. He isn't distant from uh, us. He's not under us. He is with us. And we've got to realize that as he is with us, as we wait, as you wait, God is working. His perfect timing. The Hebrew writer writes it this way. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do we know that God really cares? How do we know that he is working behind the scenes? John Stott said it this way, and and I think you can attribute it to his birth as well as to the cross. He says, I could never myself believe in a God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as God on the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I would add to that and say, I could not worship a God that couldn't identify with pain and suffering that did not enter the world as we had, as a baby, as a fragile infant, dependent on parents to raise it, that entered our pain and our suffering, our loss, our joy. He could sympathize because he entered the world the same way as we did. We can point to his death, but we can also point to his birth. And I think that is so rich that God incarnate came in the flesh. Timothy, Paul writes Timothy and encourages him with these words. He says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. There's no other. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Isn't it funny that Paul says at the proper time, at the appointed time, in that time, God knows what he's doing. He is never late. He is always on time. So my question is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And we all are waiting, aren't we? At different times in different ways for different things. And at that And in those times, he is building spiritual and emotional muscle inside of you. Hold on as you wait. Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal Godfather, we are grateful that you are with us and that you do not forget that your memory is perfect, your love is eternal and unsurpassed. That, Father, that we may feel certain things, but we realize that doubt and uncertainty does not come from you, anxiety and fear does not come from you, that your love overwhelms them, that you are in this life with us not away from us, and that you are for us. And Father, just now, I pray for those that are present in this room and those that are online joining us today. I just pray that they might know that they know that they know that you are with them, that your timing is perfect, and that they would hold on. And Father, may we encourage all of those around us, those that don't know Jesus, that we might give hope and light and life through our love and through our service and by your grace that all might know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.